Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We're so excited that you could join us today as we are attempting again to magnify the Lordship of Jesus over all of life. And this week uh, is just like every other week. We have so much to talk about. Uh, this is so relevant and the gospel is so relevant. I think that's why I get so excited about it. But but uh, hey, for starters, uh, we wanted to begin just by kind of processing with you all a little bit about the series on shame that we've been in at Living Stones. It, this is just one of our longest series that we've done. It's actually, I think, uh, this week will be the 10th week. Yeah, and then we're wrapping um, up on Easter, right? And well, we're going to do Good Friday. All right. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to do uh, Easter. We'll, we'll wrap it up and just give a little highlight. Well, first of all, I'll back up. You're... you're yeah. You're jumping in the pulpit this Sunday. Give yeah. us give us a preview. What you got? What you got on your heart? Yeah, you know this Sunday is Palm Sunday, obviously, and Palm Sunday is you know, the the famous triumphant entry. Yeah, and I'm looking at why is it that um, Jesus on you know on Sunday at the triumphant entry yep. uh, on Sunday was hailed as the Savior, the King, and then a few days later, the same people crying, Hosanna is crucify, crucify, right, crucify. Right. And, and the truth is, uh, there was great shame there, and they were greatly disappointed um, because Jesus came to be a ultimate, I call it ultimate disruptor, to mm -hmm. usher in a brand new kingdom, a, a kingdom of vulnerability and knowing, and not a kingdom of shame. And I just want to talk about how do we have a lifestyle, a truly live a lifestyle in the community of not shame, but a lifestyle of knowing and vulnerability and what does that look like because this i really believe this series can't just be another sermon series you know we learn got it check the box right it really needs to be a profound part of who we are moving forward i know it's profoundly changed me my life yeah my family and my really kids. not just this series but as we talked about sunday every series you know you, yeah. the purpose of god's word is not to as you said have a little check box and yep heard that before yep studied that book yeah, read, that, that, one, read yeah. that book before got the t-shirt yeah. yeah it's really it's really about transformation yeah uh, God's word should transform us, and we we should leave a series being absolutely different than how we entered it, and uh, and so much more like Jesus, so much more free, whatever the situation is. But yeah, but you're right on. So, and I just appreciate it. if you've uh, ever heard Pastor Andrew minister, he's always uh, so real and so transparent in terms of sharing life story, life application. Uh, you know, which is amazing. And I just give a little headline here. You know, on on Good Friday. It's amazing to me as I've been studying, you know, we, you, you put a, a lens on, like we're looking at the scriptures now through the lens of shame. So where are the places in the Bible that highlight, you know, people's struggles with shame? It's interesting to me as I'm looking at all that took place on the cross, which is what we focus on on Good Friday and all the uh, abuse and the, the horrific torture uh, the, and the, the mockery and shame Jesus endured for us. Uh, we're going to get into depth on how Jesus attacked shame and destroyed shame by receiving shame, our shame, on himself. And we're going to look at the depth of that shame that he embraced for us on Good Friday. Plus, we're going to have communion that night. So it's going to be an incredible uh, night of celebration and, and just sober reminder of all that Christ went through to set us free from sin and the shame that accompanies it. Yeah. And then, of course, Resurrection Sunday. You know, Jesus said, uh, for the joy set before him, he despised uh, the shame. And he went to the cross and he, he took our place and set us free, really forever free from shame. Not that we don't have to struggle with it, but, but Jesus 
paid the price so we could be shame-free. So that'll be the, the, the big climactic end uh, to what I think has been a, an amazing, amazing series. Yeah. Uh, this really touched us. In fact, you were sharing, you know, it's good because as we go through the week, we get to hear testimonies. And sometimes we go home, we talk to our wives, and we hear yeah. some amazing things. You know, uh, my wife was just sharing with me how um, even after this past Sunday's message on, Mephibosheth. <laughs> it's a little shame there. Hard time pronouncing. I was trying to uh, think about what he went to, through. I was trying to talk to uh, I think one of my buddies Sean about uh, about the series, and I, I said his name like four times. I couldn't say it right, and then I was just like, "He's like, you feeling some shame there?" I'm like, "Yeah, I can't even pronounce his name." Mephibosheth. Right? Well, and, and before we get to Debbie's comment, you yeah. know, we're in Second Samuel nine on Sunday, and if you haven't uh, been able to watch the message, I encourage you to go online on our uh, website. And, and listen, it was a powerful, powerful, powerful story. But the, the root of Mephibosheth, that word Bosheth, uh, means shameful thing. Yeah. And uh, But the beginning part of his name means a disperser of shame. And so we were highlighting how, you know, before the Christ comes into our lives, our lives are shameful things. But but our destiny is to not be a shameful thing, but a disperser of shame. Yeah. So if, as I get free from shame, I can... Help yeah. you get free from shame and and really that prophetic destiny that was found in 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 his name. Of course, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan and the grandson of Saul, and we we unpackaged that amazing story of covenant love between David and Jonathan that Mephibosheth had no knowledge of, and um, and, and so while he was called to sit at David's table and to be one of the king's sons, he had no knowledge of the covenant. And he had actually been a victim of a lie that was perpetrated on well, the covenant between David and Jonathan that he was unaware of. I mean, really, it's a picture of Christ's right. redemption of us. I mean, we were his enemies. We are uh, our, our sins against God and against his nature, against his laws. And, yeah. You know, just like Mephibosheth is a, you know, because of his heritage of the grandson of Saul, he should be seen as the enemy of David. Right. But but David, representative of the Christ figure, the covenantal love. Uh, came and, and and rescued him and took him from a place of damnation and cursing and death yep. and put him not just like say hey I forgive you feel free that you get to go so much more he invited him to be a son at his table yep. you know? and, uh, and to give him all the inheritance of his grandfather yeah. who his grandfather spent 13 years chasing after David to kill him I mean I can't imagine what David lived under knowing that he was a hunted right. man and not just by Saul, but by the whole army of Israel and by the special ops forces. Right. I mean, these are these are top-notch soldiers that are out to kill David. And he spent 13 years of his life basically running for his life. Yeah. That's where we get many of the cave psalms and some of the great passages of Scripture. So, right. so again, this, this is Mephibosheth's grandpa. And so all he's expecting from David is death. He, right. he, if David finds him, he's he's dead. But that was, you know, we talked about that, though. That was a lie. Uh, and it goes all the way back to uh, a practice that we, we highlighted at the time that when there was a regime change, if you were the new king, you would go out and kill everybody that they would have any right to claim uh, the yeah, throne. You eliminate the competition. That's right. And and you did it in the most horrific way. You, yeah. you slaughtered them. Uh, men, women, children, it didn't matter how old you were. If you had any kind of right to the throne, uh, you were exterminated. Yeah. And so when the news came that Jonathan and Saul were, were tragically killed in battle, the uh, woman in charge of caring for little Mephibosheth, who was five at the time, 
was freaking out, as with everybody in Saul's household, because they know, oh, David's going to be in charge, and now he's going to kill us. So that was a lie. And because of that lie, they took off running. Of course, the story goes, she drops Mephibosheth. And it must have been a horrific fall because uh, he, he ended up being crippled for the rest of his life. But what I highlighted Sunday is to, to the degree that we believe a lie about God is to the degree that we live lives crippled. Because those lies cripple us. They destroy yeah. us. They hurt us. And, and Debbie made a comment that I thought was really, really good about, you know, as a believer, never picturing herself you know, maybe worthy. I don't want to put words in her mouth, but uh, never seeing herself around the Father's table. I think that's a great picture of being invited by your your Creator, by your your King Jesus, to share at the table as a as a welcome guest, as an honored guest, as a son, as a daughter, yeah. coming to the table, and that sense of, man, you're welcome. Yeah, so glad you're here. You know that yeah. that real sense by God to be welcomed deep in your heart because of lies that she was told or she picked up she might not have been told by that directly but right. you know you know and you talk you share about that a little bit later with your own um, right. your own process own but crippledness, crippledness yep. and then but those things got picked up and then subtly you just start to have that distancy and so when you share that example there was a thing in her heart she's like why don't i ever feel that way yeah well you know we went back to a few weeks ago you know when jesus was restoring Peter, he, he did it over breakfast, you know, so there's something intimate about being invited by Jesus or by God the Father to sit at the table like we are here. You know, when you're eating food and you're all sitting at the table, it really shows God's heart that it's at the end of the day, it's about fellowship with yeah. him. It, he wants to know us, he wants to enjoy us and vice versa, which aim is what keeps us feeling like we belong in the outer court or we yeah. belong in some closet, right. that we don't really belong at the table. Yeah. That You're tolerating it instead yeah. of being really welcome, you know? Yeah. But, but it's, like you said, it starts with a lie. It starts yeah. with some type of deception that came in. I mean, you were sharing with me about just your own, you know, growing yeah. up. Yeah, you know, my mom and dad loved me. In fact, my mom and dad made sacrifices for me. I shared, you know, Sunday I was born with severe club feet. And so my, my feet were turned so far in, my big toes touched the backs of my calves. Mm. I mean, that you know, I can't imagine that's why they call them clubs. They look like little clubs. And so I had casts on my feet when I was 18 hours old. Mm. And then the pain of all that caused me to be crying all the time when I was little because of the uncomfort, mm -hmm. discomfort. And so my mom and dad told stories of how they, the only way they could get me to fall asleep at night because I was so miserable was to go out driving in the car. So they would drive in the car until that was soothing, until I fell asleep, and then they'd come back home and try to put me into bed. Well, you know, as a little kid growing up, as you learn these things, like I learned that my shoes were incredibly expensive, not because they were cool. In fact, they were not cool at all. They were very ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and they always look like they were on the wrong feet. They're like uh, special can, can they uh, corrective shoes. Corrective. There's no Michael Jordan air, no, air corrective shoes available back then. Uh, Nike they were these. Shoes. They were these, you know, uh, half ankle boot type yeah. shoes, one style. Yeah. And every I can't tell you how many times kids would say to me, "You got your shoes on the wrong feet," um, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so I, I kind of grew up with that stigma. But what hurt me more was realizing that. Those shoes were like incredibly, incredibly expensive. And I knew that, you know, here's here's what I interpreted. Not because my mom and dad told me this, but I just picked it up. I interpreted, you're a burden. Hmm. And, and uh, you know, 
this costs so much money. So I don't want to ask my mom and dad for anything. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be more of a burden. And I. I remember one time I had these brand new shoes. I had to because you know you're growing every time you grow. Right as a little kid, you got to get new shoes. Yeah. So I get these brand new expensive shoes, and I'm coming home from school one day, walking home, and a torrential down. It was a springtime, torrential downpour, and all I could think of was I'm going to ruin these shoes. And I just remember crying and crying and crying. And again, my mom and dad were not putting this on me. They were not angry. They were not upset. But that's the way shame works. It says, you know, you're deficient. You're wrong. You're a burden. Yeah. And uh, and to this day, I'm wondering certain why certain aspects of my parenting or my thought life go back to those lies yeah. that I picked up from the enemy. You know, he's great at planting those yep. thoughts that I still need to get delivered from, yeah. you know, to some degree. And I've experienced a lot of freedom once you see it. But, you know, you just wonder how many things and maybe you got your own story of of dealing with, uh, you know, a birth defect or physical challenge or something that you've gone through and, not, and how you kind of process that, you know, in your own mind. Uh, of course, kids made fun of me, which gave me a heart for, for other kids that were dealing with similar things, you know, even though I was kind of in the in the uh, cool crowd, a popular crowd, uh, I, it was still pointed out that, you know, I was deficient in some way or playing sports, you know, trying to comp compare myself to my father, who was an all-state athlete and got drafted to the pros for baseball, you know, uh, and realizing, well, my feet just aren't going to give me those types of opportunities. Yeah. Um, there's just realistic limitations I have. Uh, but having to process through all that. Now, my dad, again, never put these expectations on me. He could care less whether I played sports. But I wanted to please my father. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, and then the shame of feeling like somehow I wasn't been able to measure up. Yeah. Now, again, nobody said that to me. I somehow interpreted that with the help of the enemy who's yeah. trying to get me to believe a lie about myself. Right. But all of those things, you know, the Lord was over all of it, shaping it all and using it all for his purposes so that I could be a shame dispeller like Mephibosheth yeah. and not a shameful thing, uh, which is what the enemy wants yeah, to do. So you resonate deeply with... With, with Mephibosheth. Especially yeah. because of his feet. His feet I, I, yeah. I could picture myself dragging my my, my lame feet yeah. in, into the presence of the king and feeling like I'm, yeah. like he said, I, I'm a dirty dog. You know, I'm a yeah. worthless dog. That's how he felt about himself. Well, I think about Jesus when he, when he healed a person born blind. Remember, the disciples asked him, say, hey, who sinned? His parents or him? Right. They tried to blame somebody. Yeah, the presumption was somebody screwed up. Yeah. Someone made a mistake. Shame on somebody. It wasn't like there's no third option. It was just like either they sin or the parents sin. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what it's about. Yeah. It's so that when God can get the glory, and that's a paradigm shift, right? That's oh, a disruptive huge. thought to say it's not about shame. It's about the glory of God coming to heal. So, so in our weaknesses, the devil wants to shame us. God's wanting to glorify his goodness through our weakness. Yeah. And I can't tell you, you know, I, I shared a little bit third service. I, it's funny, different things come out, different services, but I was just sharing third service that I was told when I was in college by a, a doctor that my feet would be so full of bone spurs by the time I would say my age now that I'd be crippled. Mm. And you know, when you hear that, it's kind of spoken over you immediately. I had enough knowledge of the truth that I just said, thank you for that medical opinion, but I choose not to believe that. Mm. I'm going to believe that God's going to use these feet for his glory. And these feet are going to be a uh, uh, messengers of the good news and to the glory of God. I shared, you know, that I've been to, I don't know how many countries uh, of the world preaching the gospel on missions trips. 
and even now when you see my bald head bouncing in the corner over there during worship, it's because I'm jumping in, in excitement and praise and, and jumping on the enemy's head uh, and letting him know that the, what the prophecies that somehow my feet would limit me and that my feet would stop me or, or keep me from fulfilling God's purpose for my life, that has not happened. And and, uh, and I praise the Lord every day that I'm able to walk and move. But it's given me compassion for those in other countries yeah. uh, who are dealing with those challenges and maybe didn't have the medical opportunities or whatever that we had here in America. So yeah. I feel a, an obligation from the Lord to make sure that we care for the least of these uh, as, as a church ministry. Yeah. And I think some of that came because I was touched with the feelings of my own infirmities and realize that there are others who have it, you know, have greater challenges than myself. Absolutely. So. That's good. So yeah, but it started with a lie yeah. and it changed everything. Right. And I love the I love the picture of uh, Mephibosheth because, because those responsible for caring for him believed a lie yeah. about David. Yeah. That was what resulted in him being dropped. And the end result is he's crippled. Now, let's transition here to what's going on in our culture today, because here's the principle. To the degree as a culture that we believe a lie, we end up crippling the next generation. Now, as we've talked in recent weeks, uh, the uh, the bill that was passed in Florida by Ron DeSantis, thank God for Ron DeSantis. What a, what a courageous, Christ-centered, biblical worldview operating leader we, we're seeing who's operating in courage and going right in the face of some of the, uh, the the woke culture, you know, he's battling Disney World, uh, and and just this week, uh, some internal uh, Zoom call uh, yeah, got leaked out. Yeah, leaked out. But what we saw should be horrifying to every parent, and I would just say boldly, uh, parents, we need we need different uh, op entertainment op options than Walt Disney World. They're out to destroy our children because of the lies that they're promoting. And what we saw was that they're no longer using male and female uh, gentlemen and ladies. Uh, they don't use that language anymore intentionally because they have, they are believing the lie that there are not two genders and that whatever you feel like on the inside is okay. And if you want to be whatever gender, whatever pronoun, whatever identity you want, then just be authentic to whatever that little voice is inside of your head that's telling you, you can be whatever you want. This is a horrific lie. It flies in the face of Scripture. It's an insult to God Almighty. And and here's the sad part. is Innocent little children are being fed this lie, and it's leading to all kinds of gender confusion, experimentation, uh, mutilation, uh, horrific stuff that's being done in the name of transgenderism, which is in and of itself a horrific lie that destroys people. Well, I think part of that, I didn't hear the whole Zoom call. I, I saw a couple of reports on it. I think part of that they were talking about, they were openly talking about the impact they have on kids. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and kind of want to capitalize that. And I just think it's so important. Again, like parents, we have to be parents. We have to watch the content of what our kids watch, you know? Oh, yeah. And they, we got to realize, hey, you know what? This is, you know, my wife will, you know, whatever new shows, you know, we, we had to watch that first. You know, you just, you can't just let them browse on their own because you don't know what they're going to come across. You know, my wife sent me a, a song my kids were singing, the, the lyrics to the song because she, you know, kids just heard it somewhere. And then right. she's like, wait, she Googled, listened to it. She's like, no, we're not singing that song anymore because of whatever content it is. Absolutely. You know, and, and Disney understands the subtlety and the power yeah. of messages that, that that shape the culture. And like we said, you know, there, there are people today that don't believe in all this craziness and what's your pronoun and all that. But they also won't speak against it because it's just become kind of the acceptable environment around us. Yeah. 
And what's happening is in some of these woke districts, you have people that are actually grooming your children against parental wishes, teaching them uh, things that, that uh, go against Scripture and that bring gender confusion uh, and sharing their own sexual perversion openly with these students and, and alienating them against the wishes of their parents. And, mm-hmm. In fact, I saw one school district where parents are actually suing as they should be. They were Their, their, their son or daughter was taught that they could be the opposite gender, encouraged to be that, told do not tell your parents, uh, and being exposed to all kinds of, of um, gender-confusing material and, and behavior, mm-hmm. all in the name of, of wokeness. Uh, and I would be absolutely, oh, and then, and then laws being passed where if the parent tries to tell the kid, no, you're not going to be a kitty cat or an opposite gender or whatever craziness you think you're being fed at school, then, then they can actually be, uh, take those children taken away by state departments, you know, um, DCS and state, yeah. things like that. <clears throat> I mean, this is, this is wickedness and every parent should be outraged, but what's the lie? The, the lie is that we as parents don't have ultimate authority in dictating what our children are being taught or what lifestyle uh, options are available for our kids. Of course, we go back to Scripture as God's Word. All of this is, is, is being assaulted right now because of lies. And, we, and, and my point is this. If we don't stand up, like thank God for Ron DeSantis, I wish our own governor in Indiana would stand up because we have the NCAA that's promoting all kinds of craziness. And, and we were we were talking about, for instance, the, the swimmer, right, that, that the NCAA, yeah. you know, the male swimmer that swam in a female event. Well, I just saw over in Europe, and this is what we said needed to happen all along. If, if my daughter uh, were swimming against a male or competing in any sport against a male, I would encourage her and the whole team and the whole field of, of females to say, you know what, we're not competing. That's what happened in a, in a cycling competition uh, over in Europe, all the women said, you know what, we're not going to compete if this male who's masquerading as a female gets to compete in this event. And so what they did mm-hmm. is they go, oh, wait a minute. If all the women are going to are basically going to say not, we're not going to play this shenanigans yeah. again, this charade, uh, then they realize, OK, we're not going to have him. You can't you can't compete. So that's all it takes. It just takes for, for courageous people right. who aren't going to live a lie and who are tired of playing the game to say, no, we're not gonna do this any longer. You can call us whatever you want, uh, but this is insanity can and we're not gonna participate. Can I inject a, a oh. humorous, uh, humorous, you just made me think of something. I, you ever watched Babylon B? Yeah. And, I, don't, uh, I haven't watched but I've seen it. You uh, mean the, they're at the YouTube channel, right? Oh, okay. So the one of their YouTube sarcastic, sarcast <laughs> comedy channel is, they do a, a, a fake documentary of this motorcyclist who identify as a bicyclist. <laughs> motorcycle. So you show this guy, he's kind of a little bit overweight, you know, he dri- loves driving his motorcycle, and he just one day identifies as a bicyclist. So he joins these bicycle races and he blows the competition. He's riding a motorized he's riding vehicle. Motorized vehicle and, and he and they interview these other bicyclists who are just like, uh, I, you know, they're trying to be PC and trying to finish it. like, I just, I'm not, I'm not really so sure about this, you know, and, and I'm just dying. I'm laughing, but they're so good at exposing the deeper truth and taking this logic right. and extend it to other crazy events that um, possibly could happen in the future. Now we laugh at it. In a few years, you, if it continues in this trend, you never know, you know. Um, well, with the way God has created males and females differently, yeah. uh, males have a 
physical strength advantage that they have by the fact that yeah. they're male. It doesn't diminish females in any way, shape, or form. They, they are unique and made in the image and likeness of God as well. Both are awesome and valuable and unique and special. Um, but when you take, you take a man, mm -hmm. you pretend that he's a woman, you put him in a swimming pool, and you turn him loose to swim against women, you're going to have the counterpart of what you just described. You're going to have a motorcycle in a race with a bunch of bicycles. And, and, yeah. and, and you should not expect any different outcome than what you get, which is that the guy's going to win. Well, I, I think about, for example, like Serena Williams and Venus Williams, the, the, probably the greatest female tennis player ever. And they are, you know, and rightly so. They're great. They're great athletes. They are famous. They're gazillionaires because all the endorsements, commercial. So imagine if that whole scene is completely diluted so that you have a bunch of men who identify as women compete in those competitions. So now athletes like Serena Williams and Venus Williams all of a sudden diminished. They lose millions of dollars, endorsement, uh, you know, just, just whatever opportunity they have. That's the world. So this is not just like theoretical. This is like legitimate because of uh, Leah Thomas or yep. Thompson or Leah Thomas. You have other ladies who uh, don't get the opportunities, don't get the scholarship, the funding, or whatever, whatever. Because so there's actually legitimate harms in these situations. You know. So I mean, just again taking this one example and bring the principle to extreme and see what happens. Yeah, and I, I thought this was interesting. This is Representative Mary Miller. She's a, a Republican uh, Congresswoman from Illinois. Uh, they wrote the NCAA a letter, a stern warning, saying, "Quote: If the NCAA is unwilling to protect women, Congress will be forced to take immediate action." Now, the logic behind this letter goes all the way back to Title Nine. Uh, a section of federal law which, quote, prohibits federally funded educational institutions from discriminating against students or employees based on sex. So here's the deal. This, this is why it, the illogical nature of the argument is going to implode upon itself. When you have a Supreme Court nominee who, by the way, we need to call our U.S. senators and say, do not vote for this woman. She doesn't. She knows the difference between men and women, but she cannot articulate it because of her radical ideology. So if a Supreme Court justice does not know what a woman is, how can that same Supreme Court justice... Uh, implement Title IX federal law that prohibits uh, discrimination based on sex if you can't even define what the sex is. You can't define what a man is. You can't define what a woman is. In fact, I thought this was interesting. Fox News' Timothy Nerosi called up a long list of federal agencies asking for their answer to the same question, what is a woman? Not one responded. The Department of Justice, Education, Housing, Urban Development, National Institutes of Health, Federal Bureau of Prisons. Nobody answered this simple question, what is a woman? And I love it. The Federalist uh, Kyle Salmon asked this question. If sex is unknowable, how can a law against sex discrimination be enforced? These are serious, serious problems. Well, it, this is a little bit of when it reminds me of Jesus 
the Pharisees asking Jesus, you know, for, for, for an answer. And then Jesus turned around and said, hey, do you guys believe in John the Baptist? Is he from heaven or yeah. from right. earth, right? Right. Is he a prophet or not? No. Nah. And then and the Pharisees are like, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I, and I'm, 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 it's a bad answer either way, right? So we don't know. Yeah. And, and they, they did know. They, they did, did have know. an opinion. They, they did have an opinion, but they, but because they looked, they looked around politically. Yeah. And they say, you know what? If we answer this way, that's bad. If you answer this way, it's bad. So we say we don't know. To me, it's the same situation. If they say it's biological, it's based on your DNA, well, then, you know, then all the transgender activists is messed up. If they say, well, it's based on your feelings, well, that opens up a whole, man, the, 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 the onslaught they get for saying it's based on your feelings. You know, it's all political at this point. They're oh, playing absolutely. with people's lives. And Ted Cruz highlighted this. This was Ted Cruz's question to the Supreme Court nominee. Uh, he said, uh, the theory prevalent among members of the founding father's generation was that humans possess natural rights that are inherent or inalienable. Do you agree? Jackson replied, I do not hold a position on whether individuals possess natural rights. This is stunning, Senator Cruz uh, mentioned. The Declaration of Independence proclaims we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed uh, by the creator with certain inalienable rights. And so this is the, these are the founding documents of our country that our Supreme Court justices are tasked with, with protecting, enforcing and enforcing. protecting. Yeah. yeah. And so her comment is just to make your point is exactly what Jesus was encountering with the, with the, the lawyers in his day. Yeah. Uh, we don't know. Um, I don't have an opinion on that. Uh, depending on the context, I mean, this is all legalese that is basically uh, designed to protect the persons behind, uh, so that they, uh, so that their wicked, radical lie that cannot be exposed publicly. Uh, it's, it was wicked then. Jesus exposed it. It's wicked now. And we need to make sure these folks are not sit, sit on the highest court of our land. Well, it, it, I really saw. I think uh, the. The um, senator from Ming, I really, I think, I really going to confirm her. I, I think I saw this morning that Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney, yeah, where they came out. Mitt Romney so, is a disgrace. So I, I'm, I'm just saying, this is where we are. Our nation is. We are. We got Republican senators. It, it shouldn't be DR. If your your Supreme Court justice nominee says, you know what, I cannot confirm this document. I don't agree with the Constitution. I don't like. I'm not going to confirm this. This, this statement from our founding, not the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, which is again the founding article, it should be like no brainer. Yeah, how can you serve at the highest court of the land if you cannot embrace the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution itself? It, so, so I mean, that's where we are in the world today. Like, we have to wake up and realize we are this the, the, the Constitution, the uniting factor, the supposed uniting factor for who we are as a nation is no longer there. There's a there's people in, in America. I believe the majority still believes in the value of the Constitution, the unifying factor. But man, what happens when you don't have a unifying factor? Yeah. It becomes tribalism, factionalism, and it becomes might is right, and it becomes who's got the bigger microphone. Absolutely. And that's where we are today, in America. And to the to the degree that you believe a lie, you end up crippling the next generation. That that's what Mephibosheth taught us. Uh, so here here's a couple action points. Yeah. Number one, our governor in Indiana. Unbelievably, with this Republican supermajority and and parents overwhelmingly who support protecting gender-based sports, um, he vetoed that piece of legislation. That's coming back uh, for a a vote, 
and we need to make sure that that veto is overturned. So you need to call your senator, you need to call your state senator, your state representative and say, uh, uh, I think they're coming back early in May. So that this needs to, to be clearly overturned and we need to send the governor a strong message, uh, which is just disgraceful that he's taken this position. Secondly, we have our midterms coming up and there's a lot of candidates who are running and we need to make sure that they're, uh, they share our values. And so make sure that you are, are in the game and that you're going to vote May 3rd uh, for all of that. Um, the other thing that I want to highlight is call your state senator and make sure, or your, I'm sorry, your U.S. senator. Uh, and make sure that they vote a no uh, on uh, confirming this Supreme Court nominee who is clearly a radical progressive and has no business uh, serving in the highest court of the land because lies have consequences and they destroy and cripple our children and they destroy the next generation. I think we got into some good stuff today. Yeah, there's a lot more. We, we, we haven't even talked about Elon Musk and, and uh, Twitter. Yeah, there is good news. Elon Musk is the majority shareholder now for Twitter, and maybe we'll see some actual free speech. Well, yeah, Elon Musk is not like the bastion of, no. of, of Christian values or anything like that. I don't even think he's a believer or anything like that, but he definitely has some affinity for free speech and recognizing the importance of dialogue and all that good Absolutely. stuff. So, so, hey, so. maybe we'll get to talk about that next week. Yeah. We run, we've run out of time, but so. thank you so much for tuning in. We hope uh, these are helpful to you. Uh, if you've enjoyed the content, please like it and please share it and help us get the word out as we are highlighting again uh, how the Lordship of Jesus Christ brings life to everything that he touches. So we hope that that life touches you this week. We hope this has been a blessing and helps equip you. Uh, it's time to stand and to be a voice for righteousness, that's for sure. So don't be shy. Be bold and courageous. We've got some good leaders out there that are paving the way. And uh, it is our turn to follow. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great week.